Niall mentioned that um, our entire tech team is youth today, and we had one youth on the worship team. But every person who's involved in the back, what we call the back line of our ministry, kind of the behind the scenes, every person is either a volunteer in our youth ministry or was a youth today. So that's a blessing for our church. Um, even Frankie, whose birthday it was, he, um, he was my junior high youth leader. Can you believe that? You know how old that makes you? Ten years older than me, I think. That's what. Um, and so, what? 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 We the, the important part of that is because here at Harvest Time, we believe that every person in our church has a purpose, right? And what? What are the, the things we like to talk about? Is our discipleship process here at Harvest Time? We use four words to describe them: gathering, growing, giving, and going. You guys, remember us talking about that several times if you've been around here for a while. When you're in this room, you're gathering with other Christians. That's one way you gather. We also gather in people's homes. You gather with followers of Jesus, and that's an important thing. But that's not all there is to being part of the church body. It's also important for you to grow in your knowledge and your relationship with other people. So the second G of our four Gs is gather, then grow. And you get together, you study the Bible together, you listen to somebody teach the Bible, you discuss it, you challenge each other from the Word of God. That is the spiritual growth aspect of the Bible. And then we have a third G, and that is giving. And that's where you give your time your energy and your resources to other people in the context of the church. That is where you serve other Christians. That is what the teenagers are doing here today. They are using the gifts that they've been given to serve within the context of the church. They're giving of themselves. So my question to you, everybody else in the room who's not currently in this moment doing that, where are you giving? And I'm not talking about money. Yes, there is an aspect of giving your resources, but where are you giving of your time, energy, and resources to other people? We at Harvest Time believe that every part of the body, every member of the body, every follower of Jesus has a gift that can be used for the building up of the entirety of the body. If you are sitting here right now, the church in general needs you. And when we don't use our gifting to serve others, the church suffers. Everybody who who loves Jesus has a relationship with him as a part of the body. And the question is, what part are you using to serve other people within the context of the church? So we gather together, and for some people, all they do is gather. They come in, they gather with other people, they sit, they listen, they take, and then they leave. And... It becomes almost an empty thing because there is something about being needed in the context of the body that I am here for the benefit of other people that draws me in to more intimate relationships with other people. But when we become just consumers of church, then we kind of miss out on the point of being the church. We gather, but we don't just gather. We gather so we can get together and grow so, and when we grow, then we, we get together to give to one another. And finally, the last part is then we take what we have been given and we go. And this hope that has been shared with us through Jesus Christ, we then take and share with people outside the church to the lost and the, the dying who desperately need to know the hope that we have because we know Jesus. But for many of us in the church in our country today, and unfortunately, church has become more about ourselves than it has become about serving others. 
And yet the cause of Christ, Jesus came and he took on the form of a servant. He did not elevate himself to the position that he rightfully deserved. He he humbled himself even to the point of the cross, washing the feet of filthy sinners, serving the least of these so that he could then provide for us salvation. And he is the one that we model our life after. So you're gathering. Thank you. Step number one. But are you growing? Are you learning? Are you growing in your relationship with God and others? Are you giving of your time, energy, and resources to other people? And are you going and sharing the hope that you've been given with the world that's lost and dying? If not, start. Now, that's the sermon before the sermon. Um, That was just me saying, our teenagers are doing it. And if the teenagers can do it, you guys can too. Now, let the teenagers lead you into where you are serving other people. Today, uh, I'm going to continue the series that Pastor Jason has been going on. It's called Answering Burning Questions. It's our Burning Questions series. And he has, he has kind of introduced each week two questions that's important for you and I to hold on to and to grasp and to wrestle with long before we answer the kind of hot-button topics that we've been answering for the last several weeks. Number one is this question. Do you believe that the Bible is true? Okay, four of you in this room believe the Bible is true. Do you believe the Bible is true? Because if you believe that it is true, then it should affect every area of your life. Now, here's what we believe. We believe that the principles taught in the Word of God will give you the resources you need to to properly answer every question. It may not directly answer a question because some of the stuff that we're talking about um, didn't exist back then. Like whether or not you should own a firearm might not exactly be answered in the Bible because they didn't have a gun back then. But you can garner principles from the teachings of the Word of God on whether the, and I'm not going to answer that question. That's not the hot button topic, by the way. Um, but those types of things, we can look for the principles and the teachings of God's word. But if we truly believe that what the Bible says is true, then we can take what it says, we can apply it to our lives, and then we can turn around and live a life glorifying to God by in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as a follower of Jesus, if you struggle with the idea that the Bible is true, then when you feel something different than the Bible, you're going to follow your feelings instead of following the teachings of God's word. And that's what we have a lot of stuff going on. We, we, we have a culture that says, well, whatever you feel like, whatever your body is telling you, whatever your flesh is telling you, that's what you should follow. Meanwhile, the Bible over here is saying, well, you know, crucify your flesh. Die to yourself, take up your cross, follow after Jesus Christ. Our feelings are not relevant to the final decision. Now, they affect how we respond and how we read and all that type of stuff. But in the end, if we believe that the Bible is true and what it says is true, when it addresses something, we have to listen and obey it. Do you believe that? Do you live it? It's a whole lot easier to say I believe it than it is to actually live my life like it's true. Second question, do I honestly believe that what Jesus has done for me is enough for me? Do I believe that the identity that he secured for us through his sacrifice is enough? Or do I constantly feel like I have to be adding teachings and thoughts and laws to the word of God in order to make it Better. We, we tend to do that with our own convictions. We judge people by things that the Bible doesn't even say, but because we think it's that way, we judge other people with it. We judge ourselves 
by legalistic standards. So the questions that we have to wrestle with before we even get into the controversial questions is um, if, if the Bible says it, am I going to accept it? And number two, is, Jesus, is what Jesus has done for me enough for me? Because if Jesus is not enough for me, then I will constantly be searching for additional things outside the word of God to, find that, to fill that God-shaped hole in my heart. And there will be a discontentment and an anxiety that nothing in the world can satisfy and will constantly be looking to have that satisfied somewhere else outside of Christ. So I urge you, first off, to accept that the Bible is true. And I urge you, secondly, to believe that what Jesus has done is enough. The word of God says that he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything through the power of his Holy Spirit and the word of God. Do you believe that? So today that leads us to four questions I'm going to try to answer in 20 minutes. Not going to happen. Um, we're going to go a little long today. Sorry, don't leave yet. Please don't leave. You, if you need to leave when it's time, leave. But we got four very big questions we want to wrestle through. Question number one is this. And this is not easy, so just prepare yourself. Is it okay to put your aging parents into a nursing home? Question number one. Is it okay to put your aging parents into a nursing home? Question two. How should Christians look at end-of-life decisions? How should Christians look at end-of-life decisions? Question number three. Is it biblically acceptable to cremate a believer's body? And question number four, are our believing loved ones actually watching over us, like watching us on this planet? Those are four big questions. And I've got 25 minutes to answer all four of those. Prepare yourself to, to be drinking from the fire hose. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5 is where we're going to start. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, I had an opportunity to live with my great-grandmother for a while. <laughs> um, when I was in my teenage years, my great-grandmother, Ethel, and by the way, you don't hear that name very often anymore. I don't see any new babies being named Ethel. Anybody know a brand-new baby named Ethel? Future mothers, write it down. Ethel is available. Uh, <laughs> Um, but my grandmother, Ethel, um, uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at a, at a, at a, probably in her mid to late 70s. She actually ended up leaving, uh, living for quite a few years. And for a while, um, my grandmother, Ethel, <laughs> moved in with us. And uh, my mother and father and my family had a lot of adventures with Grandma Ethel, um, many of which we're not going to share with you today. Uh, but I'm going to share one with you because it's something I actually shared at her funeral um, one time. My brother Nathan had bought an old Ford Escort that was a, like a five-speed. And Mom and I and Grandma Ethel and um, Nathan was driving. Mom in the passenger seat. Do you remember this? Grandma Ethel is next to me, and I'm in the back seat. And the Mom's teaching Nathan how to drive a stick shift. And she's putting it in gear, he's putting it in gear, and the car is kind of lurching. But this car did not have air conditioning, all right? Middle of summer, blazing hot, windows are rolled down. And if you know anything about... That particular generation, and some of you may actually have this right now, um, usually within their purse, they would have something called a headscarf. You guys remember the headscarves? Does anybody have a headscarf right now? Anybody? Yep. You do, Sue? Yep, Sue's got one. Um, well, Grandma Ethel usually carried a headscarf in her, 
in her purse. And it's basically, they would get their hair done, all nice and pretty. And then they, when they would go out, they put the headscarf on in case it rained or in case it was too windy so that their hair wouldn't get messed up. Well, Grandma Ethel had carried one of these probably most of her adult life. And so the windows were rolled down, her hair was getting a little jostled, so she began digging in her purse. And if you've ever um, been through the purse of somebody who's got Alzheimer's, you just never know what you're going to find in there. Well, Grandma found what she thought was a headscarf, and it wasn't a headscarf. Uh, Next thing we know, we look over, and Grandma had fished out an old dirty pair of underwear, (laughs) put it on her head. So I'm looking at Grandma, and all I see is two white poofs of hair Sticking out of both the leg holes of dirty underwear. <laughs> now, some of you are thinking, well, that's not funny. Well, when you're, when you're going through end-of-life stuff, it's important to hold on to those moments of humor and to remember some of the positive things that you're going through in this life. Grandma, if she was thinking clearly, she would have been the first one to laugh about that same thing. And we shared that at her funeral because it was important for us to remember good things. Um, Then later on, we had the privilege of ministering to my grandma, Noni, as well, who also had Alzheimer's. And one of the things that we noticed um, when we, you know, mom would go visit her all the time, we would notice there was a ton of people in nursing homes who never got visited, ever. Um, And... Here's what I want you guys to read with me about. When it comes to caring for those during the end stages of their life, it's important for us to recognize that dropping somebody off and never visiting them again is not God's will. Man, it's quiet in here. It's just not. And how do I know that? Well, read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Some context. The, the, The church is relatively new. People are getting excited. You know, you've been, you ever been a part of a, a movement of God where things are just moving and you get excited and you get jumped into it? And, and really, a lot of people's time, energy, and resources are being taken up by the church. And what was happening is that some people were getting um, notified that stuff was not going great with their family. Um, there were some loved ones that are aging and need to be taken care of. And so the church was questioning, what, you know, what's more important? Ministering in the context of the church, um, continuing doing this exciting thing for God, or returning home and doing what is, quote unquote, the responsibility that's laid before them. Um, so the author, Paul, is writing to the church and he says this number, verse number three honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, listen, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. There's some interesting verbiage that's thrown on here. Notice it didn't say that serving in the church is is bad. He didn't say that developing your, your gifts and talents within the context of the church is bad, but what he is saying, for some of you, you need to go back home and take care of your family. And notice, verse, the beginning of the verse 3, there's a word that's thrown in there. It's, it's called, it says, honor. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children of grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. The reality is this. As, as kids, as grandkids, 
the primary responsibility to, to, to make sure that our, that our parents and grandparents and those reaching the end of their life are being cared for, the primary responsibility of that falls on us. Man, it's quiet in here. It's my responsibility to love and care for my parents as they grow older. Now, our culture has treated people as they get older as a burden on society. When they stop being productive, then we can throw them away into a place where we ignore that they exist and forget it. Listen, that's not, that should not be in the context of the church. It should not be in the context of the church. Do you hear me? As a follower of Jesus... We are commanded to do many things in the word of God, but one of the things that's brought in that passage is the idea of honoring and caring for and taking care of people that cannot take care of themselves. Whether they're family or not family, that is not the, the point here. The point is, is that as a child, I'm to care for my family. If they don't have kids to take care of them, then guess who it falls on to? The church. Now, this is a very challenging thing for us because when the Bible was written, a lot of the medicinal things that extend life were not around. The idea of people living well into their older age and having their life extended was not as frequent as it is today because of modern medicine and other things like that. But it doesn't change the responsibility. It does not change the responsibility. Deuteronomy 5 in the Old Testament um, also um, reflects this with, with a verse that you guys all know. It says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We usually um, use this as a quote to young kids who are still at home for them to obey and listen to their mother and father, but the application is not just for young children living at home. In fact, I think the application is more than likely um, broader to the point where we are to honor our aging parents as well. So when we are making a decision about whether or not to put somebody into a nursing home, there's three things I want you to write down. Number one, we have to remember that it is our godly, God-given responsibility to care for our aging family members. It is. In the, in, in the Bible times, guys, there were no nursing homes. You know what would happen? People would just... Like, when somebody got married, guess what happened? The young new couple built onto their parents' house, and they lived together. Now, some of you moms would love this, having your kids around forever. But that's not what's happening in the modern world, right? And so when people began to age in the Bible times, they would just continue to live in their home that was attached to the other person's home, and everybody would continue to live on that property, and they would be cared for, and there would be a natural way to honor and care for the age because they wouldn't have to go anywhere, but the reality is, is that now we are such a transient society where people's careers take them all over the world that it's easy to forget that no matter where we are, we still have a responsibility. Visiting a nursing home and seeing people that are never, literally never visited by their family is one of the saddest experiences you can imagine. And it's wrong. Man, is it quiet in here. So what is our responsibility? Well, number one, our godly responsibility is to care for our aging parents. Number two, as a follower of Jesus, when I am just making a decision like this, we are commanded to honor our family in the decision. What is honorable to them? 
And number three, we are commanded to love them. What is the loving thing to do? Let me ask you this question. Do you want to be ignored? Do you want to be shoved in a place and never visited? If you don't want that, don't do it. It's still quiet here. We have a responsibility that God has called us to. So is it okay to put your aging parents in a nursing home? The short answer, the answer is pray about it and listen to God. You ought to at least pray about whether you can care for your family. Ask God to speak. But let me also be clear. There comes a time when you can't. There will come a time at times where you just can't do it. You can't pick that person up. You can't provide the care that they need on your own. And so there is, I'm not saying that there is not a time and a place for nursing home care. But when that time comes, make sure that they are still integrated into your family. That you are still visiting. That you are still loving. That you are still honoring them with the decisions that you make. Because that is what God would call us to do. God doesn't want us to ignore anybody let alone the people that are our own flesh and blood. So is it okay to put your aging parents in a nursing home? Yes, if you do so in a way that you are not shirking your responsibility, that you're still honoring them, and you still are expressing love to them. Number two, how should Christians look at end-of-life decisions? Listen, guys, we are in a culture where human life is being devalued all around us. And we, are stand, we have a strong stance here at Harvest Time, if, you, if, you, if you're wondering about it. We are pro-life. We are. We believe that, that human life is sacred from the time of conception all the way through the end of their last breath on this planet. It's easy for us to focus on the unborn because they're young and everybody gets on board. But here's, you want to know the scariest part is that as our culture progresses, the human life and value of older folks has become more and more marginalized. The fact that people don't want to visit people in their nursing home, all that does is illustrate this point. To the point now where, where people are talking about whether euthanizing older folks is something that should be considered as treatment. Listen. As long as you have breath on this planet, you have value. As long as you have breath on this planet, you have a purpose. Whether you're in a nursing home, whether or not you're at home, no matter what, if you are an unborn child in the womb of your mother, you are created in God's image, and therefore you have value. When I visit people in nursing homes or in hospitals, a lot of times the question is, well, what is my purpose? The discovery of that. And the reality is, is I can't tell you. But I do know you interact with people at the nursing home and in the hospital that need the gospel. And you can speak truth. So how, when I am thinking about end-of-life decisions, you're going to be faced with all kinds of decisions when that time comes. And let me just clarify one thing for, for, for wisdom's sake. If you are getting to the point where you have to think about it, tell somebody what your end-of-life decisions are. You know, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, but a living will is a wise thing to have. Express your wishes clearly before you get to the point of having to make decisions. And let other people know about it, please. Okay, Because it's the hardest thing to do is to make some of these end-of-life decisions. But as you're thinking about them, as a Christian, what should I be thinking? If I'm walking through this with somebody who I love dearly, number one, and write this down, all human life is sacred. All human life is sacred. Acts chapter 17, verse 25, says that our lives are a gift from God. 
He says, he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. We sing a song here at harvest time where it says, it's your breath in my lungs, and we pour out every breath that we have back to him as an act of worship. Whether we're singing, we're breathing, we're living, everything is about worshiping our Lord God with every breath that's within us. So when we are making this decision about our end of life stuff, it's not the same as making a decision about a dog. It's not the same. Um, just this year, I, uh, my family had to put our dog we've had for 15 years to sleep. And I bawled like a baby. But six months ago, um, my, I lost my baby brother who had a heart attack. Those two, grieve, were they both grieve-worthy? Yes. Were they the same? No. The value of human life means the loss of my brother is here and the loss of my puppy is here. Now, did it bring up similar feelings? Yes. Did it cause me to grieve? Yes. But in reality, because we are created in God's image, the loss of somebody you love is starker, it's harder, it's more difficult because human life is sacred. It's also reiterated in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, says this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. But if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Human life. Is sacred. And the sanctity of mortal life mandates that we advocate for the unborn and we need to safeguard against physician assisted suicide. I, I spoke on this earlier this year. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. But it is sin. And it's not something that we should be seeking out for the end of our life. What we're doing in that process is wrestling away the God's control over life and death and the amount of time we have on this planet. And God's desire is for us to trust him in the midst of that, not to take that under our own strength. But it also requires that when struggling with all of these medical options, that we consider treatments with a potential to cure as most important. Because here's the reality of it. All the medical advancements in the world that we have today will not stop the process of the fact that we are all going to die. And for a follower of Jesus, listen, hear my, hear my voice. Death is not the worst thing. And yet we fight like it's the worst thing. So number one, all life is sacred. Number two, in the end, God has authority over life and death, and it's not up to us to wrestle, try to wrestle that control away from him. You see, when faced with the grief of and uncertainty of life-threatening disease, fear may drive us to resist death at all costs. And don't get me wrong, here's, here's what I believe. I believe that if there is a chance of survival, if there is a, an opportunity for us to have a, 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 light, a normal life post-treatment, then pursue life, fight for life. But in the end, when it becomes so difficult that our life becomes more difficult and, and aggressive interventions, even when such measures promise no hope, 
that I don't necessarily believe that's necessarily the best option for us to pursue because death is not the worst thing to happen to us. Hebrews 9 tells us this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, the reality is is that every one of us are appointed to die, and we as followers of Jesus should not be afraid of that moment. But when we blind ourselves to our own mortality, we actually in some way are denying the resurrection. When we try to hold on to this life so much that this is the most important thing and everything else has to come underneath that and we don't recognize that there is hope beyond this life, then we are denying the hope that we have. If I haven't made it clear to you, the goal is to live But the reality is, is that we are going to die here. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a new and better life coming. And that is where true hope, even in the face of death, lies. So when we're thinking about these end-of-life decisions, remember your life, the life of the family member you're making the decision about is sacred. Number two, in the end, God has authority over life and death. So the reality is we should be praying hard about what treatments and procedures God wants us to participate in to prolong the life as long as we are here but in the end trust him with the number of your days number three when you're coming to to conclusion ask yourself this question what is the loving merciful thing to do Romans 8 38 for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death does not end God's love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God if you are in Christ Jesus. And let me flip that around. If you have a loved one who's in heaven... Their love for you does not end at death either. Their love is perfected the moment they enter God's presence. There is hope beyond this. And finally, our hope resides in Christ alone. Paul knew this. Paul was facing certain death, and he he says in Philippians chapter 1, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He was facing certain death. He knew it was coming, and in his, deci- in his mind, he's like, he was wrestling through the idea of, well, I really don't want to die, but he knew in his spiritual walk For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And when I close my eyes here, I will be there. When we make decisions about the end of life here, one of the most important things you can do is making the decision here, but keeping your eyes there. Look to heaven. Look to hope. Recognizing that the end of this life is just the beginning of what is to come. So the question number, and I told you it was going to be hard for me to get all these in. The question number one, is it okay to put your aging parents into a nursing home? It is if you're doing it out of love and honor 
and you're you're participating in their life, and God has released you to do so. But you need to at least pray about your personal care for them and how you're going to participate in their ongoing care. How do we look at God's, the end of life issues? Well, pray about it. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, but make sure that you are taking the entirety counsel of the word of God when you're making decisions about the end of life, recognizing that our hope is not just here on this planet. Our goal is not just to hold on to life on this planet. Our goal is to look forward to the life that he has secured for us. Number three and four, take a deep breath. It's going to be short. Number three, is it biblically acceptable to cremate a believer's body? In short, the Bible does not say doesn't. Now, there are some things you can indicate about making decisions like this. Um, As an example, I would say a vast majority of all Jewish people and followers of Jesus are buried. That's the example that's kind of set out there in the Word of God. There's a couple examples of burning in the Bible, usually when it comes to um, somebody who's living in rebellion. But in the end, the Bible does not say, bury your dead. It doesn't say, cremate your dead. A lot of the decision about that comes from human tradition and and particularly specific um, churches that add stuff like the need for holy ground to be buried in for the sake of of continuing salvation. We don't believe that. There's nothing holy about ground. It's dirt. From dirt you come and to dirt you will return. And here's here's the reality of it. My God is not confined by dirt how he's going to provide the rapture. One time, my dad told me he wanted to be cremated and flushed down the toilet. Um, <laughs> just because he thought that it would be cool to see it during the rapture for him to come out of the toilet and, and meet people in the air. <laughs> I'm not recommending that. But what I am saying is this. When it comes to something the Bible does not clearly tell you yes or no to, give yourself and other people grace and pray about it. Pray about it. If God doesn't give you a piece about it, don't do it. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the final question is, are our believing loved ones watching over us? This is something that a lot of people hold on to because it gives them peace. And the reality of the Bible is it does not say. It does not say. Is it possible? Sure. Uh, The one passage that a lot of people will point to is Hebrews chapter 12, where it says there are such a cloud of witnesses that are bearing witness to our faith moving forward into the presence of God most people, including John MacArthur and some others, believe that people are, those people are witnessing our entrance into heaven, and they're cheering on. It's like the, the end of the race. It's like the entire race has been run, and there's a great cheering section when you're crossing that finish line. All these people are bearing witness to God's faithfulness in their life, throughout their life, and when you cross that finish line, there's a, such a cloud of witnesses bearing witness to you crossing that line. So are people watching you? Well, If that gives you peace, I think it's okay to think about it. Don't pray to them. Don't pray to them. Um, That's not what God has laid out for us. And and, and think this through, guys. I don't know if you'll find this funny like I do. If if they're watching you in your life, are they really without tears? (laughs) Boy, kind of laughed and then kind of pulled back, right? Or if they're watching you in your life, um, do you really want them watching you while you're in the bathroom? There's a lot you got to think through in the process when you think through something like that. And the reality is, is that we know that there are things they are doing in heaven. When we're in heaven, Scripture says in Matthew 26, they'll be feasting. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, there will be a, re, a being reunited with loved ones and people have gone on before. There, there are things that the Bible says about we'll be worshiping in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 22 says we'll be serving um, the Lord and other, other people in heaven. Um, Revelation 5 says we'll be reigning with Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, we will get to see Jesus face to face. There's all kinds of stuff the Bible says we will be doing in heaven. Let's not fill in the gaps with stuff that we don't know. And understand the reality that our loved ones are having the time of their life if they're in heaven right now. And the last thing they may want to do is watch my little life when they've got Jesus to talk to. Amen? All we do know is that they are better off. And let's hold on to that hope. And if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we get to see him again. And that's the hope that we have. Amen? So when we are facing all of this stuff, and it's a lot, and I covered a lot, if you have questions about it, you want to message us and talk to us, my, our offices are open, send me an email, shoot a text, we'll get together. Through it all, the most important thing that I can challenge all of you is this. Where are you finding your hope? If your hope is in medicine, you'll be disappointed. If your hope is in being able to spend all your time with your family here on this earth, you're going to lose hope. Because one day you're going to die or they're going to die. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ and the eternal life that you can have through him, you never lose it. Because even when the loved ones you lose go on before you, you have something to look forward to because you'll be reunited with Jesus and all those people moving into the future. And that is worth hoping for. Amen? That's where our hope lies. Hold on to that. Let's pray. And then we'll close with a song. Father God, you are good. Thank you for providing us eternal hope. Lord, I pray um, as we are called children of the resurrection that we will truly hold on to the resurrection as the place that we place our hope. Because you rose again, we have hope that we will also rise again to be with you forever. And as we make all these decisions, help us to make the decisions not based on human logic, but on the logic of your word and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Strengthen us. Those of us who are facing these decisions right now, Call to our remembrance the teaching of your word as we make decisions. Help us to trust in you, but Lord, help us not to forget to cry out to you for help, to cry out for you for support and love and also for leading as we move forward in this. And through it all, may we listen to your still small voice, hearing the guiding of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand up. It's possible that you could be here today and not know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, all the hope that we just talked about, you don't have it. So we do want to invite you today that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, come forward, talk to us so we can help you find that relationship. But if you do know Jesus, hold on to that hope as we sing this song. Sing with us. <laughs>